2: Tom Bernard Show with
1: co
3: host Catherine Brandt,
2: Andy Brandt Bernard,
1: Melissa Kirk,
2: and we'll be right back. No Alex today, no LA Nick today, no anything. Wimps, Wimps, can't hang what are you uh Ralph uh just sent a picture. Oh, was it? Lindsay. Lindsay Lindsay sent the picture.
3: The barbecue with about 2 feet of snow. On <laughs> it has like
2: 2 feet of snow on it. So is it windy or something? No, no it's, it's just snowing the snow is snowing. very very thick in the air. Oh, it is. It's thick snow, yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. Kick things off, Tom, Bernard aren't you Join us every Thursday at 2 o'clock Central for our newest podcast, Car Selling Secrets. It'll be co-hosted by me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal from Walzer Automotive Group. We'll be talking about lots of stuff relating to how dealership sales actually work, as well as the latest product updates from nearly every make sold in the USA. If you have questions for the podcast, either email doug at walser.com or call the studio live at 952-800-1492.
4: And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good,
2: ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you?
4: At uh, e- Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Treat us like a fool.
2: I just thought I'd start singing along. What do you think? Hmm. You're not impressed?
3: What do you mean, hmm? I think everybody's snowed out.
2: Are you just snowed out? Ball? Just Are you snowed out, seriously? It's pretty snowy. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. It's, and, it's rather and, snowful. I, I know, it, is it still coming down that hard? Uh, Boy, it was coming down this morning, yes. man. Yeah, it's still pretty what snowy. out the window, Yes. All right, just let me know when our uh, when our guest arrives Boy, and maybe your
3: esteemed guest.
2: He might be snowed out too. Who the hell knows where he is? He might it's snowing <laughs> it's not only snowing in Minneapolis, St. Paul, it's snowing pretty much everywhere from the Mason Dixon line north. I mean, honest to God, it's it's snowing. There's no doubt about that. So uh, he might uh well, might record
3: snowfall, in. right? In February.
2: Yep. Exactly. So hopefully Ty will be on with us, Ty Tabor. Um He's the guitarist for King's X, has a book about King's X, so hopefully he can he can get to a phone, but he might not be able to. Who knows? I've, I've been trying to get a hold of people all day, and I'm finding like, oh, that's right. No, Everybody's hunkered down. <laughs> everybody's hunkered down now, so I don't blame them, right?
3: Yes. Well, it gets a little bit like you just want to take a nap.
2: Um. Has anybody on this show right now ever waited tables? I never have. Catherine, you ever waited tables when you were a teenager? Oh, what? God, no. I know KFC. my limitations. KFC, you. Well, you yeah. don't wait tables at KFC, though, do no. you?
3: No. I was a counter gal.
2: Counter? I and see, that
3: was horrible enough.
2: I would tell you, honest to God, I, I, there is no way. How long did you work there? Oh, I probably made
3: it eight months.
2: And how old were you?
3: Um. Uh, well... I lied and told them I was 16. I was 15.
2: Well, you were only 15. Mm -hmm. Well, the guy knew I was lying.
4: Never (laughs) mind then. I'm
2: sure he didn't care. No, he didn't care. I used to go to that KFC all the time, so I'm sure I went in there when you... Well, let's see. Let me figure this out. So you were 15? Yeah. Mm, Yeah, I was still living in town at that point. I didn't leave town until like 1977.
3: Yeah, I had to wear this uh, bright red polyester uniform that you could never wash the chicken smell out of ever it always smelled <laughs> like kfc wow. mm. and it was hot and itchy i hated the uniform and then they started putting me on the later shift i think i think kfc used to close at 10 yeah, or I 11 so. 11. Yeah, 11
2: i think it was 11 yeah once i
3: got my chops <laughs>
2: oh god really
3: <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and then all the drunks would be coming in and trying to hit on me and it was awful.
2: Would you live about a mile from there?
3: I lived a few miles away from there. Was it a
2: few miles? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: But yeah, I, I used to I, ride my bike to work.
2: In all likelihood, I probably met you at KFC when you worked there. Probably. But since you were only 15, I probably. Although.
3: Well, you wouldn't have known I was 15.
2: I'm sure you cut a fine figure.
3: In that bright red polyester outfit. <laughs>
2: The bright, your bright red polyester. Exactly. I remember
3: they used to let us take the leftovers home at the end of every day. And at first, my mom was just like, "Oh, this is great, free, yeah. free yeah. chicken."
2: Not so much. And pretty now, soon, she's huh? like,
3: "Don't bring home any more chicken." Not the freezer, the, chicken. the freezer's full of it.
2: Uh, I have never seen a guy get arrested for this before, but uh, he did. Joel Boyers. I'm looking at Joel Boyers' picture. It seems like a looks like a nice enough guy. He's got the uh, the close cropped hair and he's got the full beard but he's got a smile on his face joel boyers was removed from the jw marriott bar in nashville on monday and charged with public intoxication and possessing oh that's why they arrested lug, him lug, lug. that's why because you, you if you cannot carry a weapon and be drunk you can't do it. it's against the law matter of fact i think it's a felony
3: well i think that might be a good law
2: yeah, yeah is it's a, good a pretty law. good law mm-hmm. But you know why the police were called in the first place? Because they did not know he had a gun on him. You know why they called the police on him?
3: Because of the intoxication.
2: Because he started a lot of trouble at the bar because he was tipping so much, servers were getting in fist fights over serving him. Oh, my God.
4: Oh, God.
3: It's
2: That's true. sad. You know how much he tipped in total? No. Jesus.
3: Why did he have $22,000 in cash? Did he just win the lottery?
2: I don't know. Uh, Joel Boyers was removed from the JW Marriott Bar in Nashville on Monday and charged with public intoxication and possessing a firearm while intoxicated, but some people there will still remember him fondly. Before he was arrested, he tipped his servers $22,000. God! Police say they were contacted by the 39-year-old's worried friends after he sent them bizarre text messages about drinking with a gun, taking (laughs) drugs that increased his intelligence, and giving away his child on Facebook. Yeah, don't give away your kid on Facebook. Mm. Probably not a good plan. I wouldn't do it, I will tell you that.
3: Sounds like he needs to be institutionalized.
2: When police arrived at the hotel, staff told them that Boyers had caused disruption with his gigantic tips because servers, unsurprisingly, were fighting to wait on him. Police say Boyer surrendered his firearm and uh, admitted that he had been drinking and smoking marijuana all day. Police say records show Boyer's had consumed more than a dozen drinks from the mini bar in his hotel room and two drinks at the hotel bar. I worked at I work at Tractor Supply. He's welcome to come into my store and tip me if he wants to. Visitor Brad Beck told WZTV after the arrest, adding he'll probably need that for legal fees and bail money. Record show Boyers was released on bond several hours after he was booked into jail. He has a court date next month. Yeah, you can't be carrying a weapon and um, be drunk. Mm -mm.
3: And he had twenty-two thousand dollars worth of cash on him to tip.
2: Twenty-two grand in cash. Well, he he sold his kid, probably, you know, on Facebook. We have Ty. His kid for sale.
3: It takes all time. Ty's ready to
2: go. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Ty Tabor. Ty, how are you? Good. How you
0: guys doing?
2: Not too bad. Now you do pronounce your name like the drum, I'm assuming. The Tabor. Uh exactly, actually. Excellent. I want to make sure. I love that that a guitar a guitar player's last name means drum. That that works for me, yeah. Ty. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh Ty Tabor, guitarist for King's X, ladies and gentlemen, promoting the book. He's talking about the book King's X, The Oral History. And this is the point, Ty, where I just step back because I just want to hear about the book, how long it took you to write it, the uh, you know the oral history of King's X. I just I like to get out of the way and hear what you have to say, uh, and we can start basically with what inspired you uh, to write the book and how long did it take you to write the book?
0: Um, well, uh, as far as uh, the band's participation, it was kind of easy for us. All we had to do was uh, over a period of a, of a year or two. Um, just have a whole lot of conversations with Greg Prado, who did the actual authoring. We're the contributors, and he's the author. And uh, Greg has a whole lot of of great books and and articles out there. He's all over the place. But he approached us a while back um, as a a fan of the band. He had come to a lot of shows over the years, and he just, you know, as a writer— it really uh, touched upon his heart after a show in New York City a while back. I think it was 2015. It just really hit him that he needed to write the full story of this band uh, finally, just after all these years, put it together and put it out. So we agreed uh, to work with him on it, and uh, basically, that's that's all we did was discuss every single detail of uh, things from our you know we could think of from our childhood to how we met, you know, how we all became musicians. How, you know, how many years we uh, did it out there on the road before we ever got a record deal, uh, which was a very, very long time—many years. Uh, there's really? just a, a a very strange and heavy-duty story surrounding this band from from the earliest times, and those around us have always known that and wished that the story would be told. So, uh, Greg. Greg, it was ultimately him that decided to uh, to do it.
2: That makes total. Now, wh- where did the where the band come from? Which city did they break? Uh, what city did you break out? Of?
0: Well, we, uh, we we're all you know individually from different places, but we met in right. Springfield, Missouri, and uh, we were all going you know going there for school or or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, and Springfield's really musical town or at least back in 1980 it was there was there were two bands in particular there that are two of the best bands that still to this day i've ever seen before uh one of the bands is called fool's face and the other band was called mistakes Um, both of those bands were phenomenal and they had huge followings uh in springfield you know they could play clubs and completely sell them out right and right. everybody everybody knew all their songs and all the worst to the songs. And this, these were bands without a record deal. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking it was a phenomenon around these two bands, especially Fool's Face. They were legends uh, in Missouri back then. I mean, they were, they were gods to all the other musicians. Um, we just knew they would be the biggest band on earth. Uh, and mm-hmm. for some reason, no one ever discovered them. But lucky for King's X, we were in that town uh with you know such great bands that we knew if we were going to be a band we couldn't just be good we had to really push ourselves to to become something better than we thought we needed to be just because of the people around us were so good so lucky for us we we formed in springfield and had that kind of inspiration from people that were kicking our butts when we first came out they were so much better than us I mean, it was embarrassing, and uh, and that's exactly what we needed. We needed to be shown we weren't all that, you know, and that it takes some hard work and dedication. So thanks to Springfield for that. That was really a, a good lesson.
2: Yeah, no question. I, I I used to work for Capitol Records from 1977 <laughs> to 1982, so six full years, and I worked a lot with Bobby Columbia, who was our A&R director and the drummer, of course, for Blood, Sweat, and Tears before that. But I, how, did yeah. this, how did these bands slip through their fingers? I'm th- I, back then, Ty, there were... And what year are we talking? Because I can kind of zero in on it. Then. Uh, well, what year we, are we talking when you were well, we going to school? We started in 1980 as a band.
0: Okay. So there you go. We've been so doing, it, go doing it almost 40 years.
2: It just amazes me because I was at Capitol Records at that time, and those guys worked very hard to go out and discover acts and find out, you know, the next big thing. It was it was incumbent upon them to find bands like you're talking about. Why do you think it is that none of the because there were there was Epic and Columbia and there was W and you know Warner Brothers, Electra Atlantic. There were all these record labels everywhere. You would have think EMI or somebody would have discovered them, but. Did, were, were there any A and R guys that ever came to town?
0: That's the thing. I think it was just location. There was never an a and R person at any gig that I knew of. Um, really, we didn't even know any A and R people. We didn't know any people at labels. Neither did Facebook. I mean, uh, uh, Fool's Face. They, uh, they didn't. I mean, none of us had contacts with any of that. Uh, Fool's Face. What they built, they built on their own in a small mm-hmm. town, uh, and it was just a phenomenon. And, and not just there, they, of course, they would play Columbia and sell it out and they play Joplin and sell it out and play Kansas City, right. and wherever, you know, St. Louis. I mean, they, everywhere they went, they were drawing huge attention as this phenomenon. And it baffled all of us that nobody heard about it or, or saw them. I mean, I don't have an answer to that. And it's the most baffling thing because they were high profile for years, uh, I mean, playing very big sold out shows. They did a show one time at the Speedway. There was thousands of people there and people sang every word, you know, and did hand signals to the songs and all that stuff. It's mm-hmm. the kind of thing in a small town. You would think this band has got to be the biggest thing on earth. And um, it just doesn't make sense that no one, no one found them. Uh, they ended up eventually disbanding. Uh, a couple of members moved out to California uh, one of them, Jim Wirt, has become a well-known uh, producer and has a studio. And so they've gone on to do musical things, but Fool's Face is done. And I'm bl- I, we were lucky to get to see it, like I said, because it it showed us uh, how far we needed to go.
2: So but it is, the, it is
0: truly, the, truly strange.
2: It is strange. Was that the kind of the middle of the end of the disco era? Do you think that was part of it?
0: Uh, well, it was definitely disco ending around that time. But the thing right, is, right. Underground, underground new music was becoming huge at this time. And that's exactly what they were, which is why I expected them to break. They were all about what was happening big time in underground alternative music at that moment. Sure. They were, sure. Right, they were right on the money with, with that. So they were, it was perfect timing for them. Just nobody saw it
2: <laughs> somehow. Ty, I got to <laughs> tell you that same era. And I, I, this is full disclosure to you, Ty, because we're tight now. Um, I got a call. <laughs> I was out of town cause I was in St. Louis, I think. And I got a call from a young woman that I knew. This is like 79, maybe, whatever. When did, when did, uh, Devo, uh, break? It, it was in the 70s,
0: because a, a good friend of mine yeah, wrote one of their yeah.
2: biggest hits. Really? That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I get a call from this woman I know. So, yeah, seventies I was with Capital at the time, so it was 77, 78, 79, somewhere in there. She calls me and said, hey, uh, there's a new band called Devo, and they're appearing in town. Are you in town? I said, no, but I'll be back tonight. She said, well, do you want to go? And I said, yeah, that sounds good. It'd be fun to go. Um... So I flew back into town. I went right from the airport to the venue, and um, we went and saw Devo. And I felt like such a dope because because I had come home right from the come to the auditorium right from the airport. I was wearing a suit, the only man to ever wear a suit to go see Devo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they must have thought you were in the band
2: <laughs> yeah they must have exactly that's exactly right being ridiculed by the band right in front of me uh, Ty can you stick with us for a couple of minutes I just have to take a very quick break can we, can we bring you back after the break just a couple of minutes no problem excellent we'll be right back more with Ty Tabor the book is called King's X the Oral History very very interesting stuff be right back with Ty right after this Tom Bernard show Ty Tabor with us, guitarist for King's X. The book is called King's X, the oral history. We're just talking about uh, some stupid things that I've done and also about great rock and roll music. Those are the two subjects so far. So I'm kind of the dope in this story so far. Um, so the band came together. Uh, University of Missouri is in Springfield, isn't it? Um, it's
0: SMSU, Southwest Missouri State is in Springfield. Oh, Southwest
2: Missouri State. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, where's where's the University of Missouri?
0: I can't remember. I had a friend um, that went there and played baseball, but I can't remember. Mm, I don't remember either. To be honest, <laughs> I'm
2: not no, actually don't, from Missouri,
0: don't so I, I.
2: Where are you from originally? Even
0: even though I do live here now, again I'm back in Missouri. I live in Kansas City now, but I'm originally from Mississippi. I was born in Jackson, grew up in a suburb of Jackson called Pearl, which actually wasn't mm-hmm. even called Pearl till I was. Like 12 years old, it got incorporated uh, and became its own town. So, yeah, I'm just from backwoods, Mississippi, to be honest, just outside of Jackson.
2: So, you, you went to Springfield to go to school. Is it, was that, were you one of the people going to school there?
0: Yeah, that was the original idea uh, for me there right. was to go to school. And I did go to school. And uh, it was at school, actually, that I was playing a talent show kind of thing that Doug heard me play and uh, reached out contacted me and that's how we started playing together actually was because of him seeing me play at school but yeah we were all there for di- in Springfield for different reasons Jerry was there for school also uh, okay. uh, Doug moved there to join a band that, and uh, Jerry actually was going to join that band also uh, and the band split up as soon as Doug got there <laughs> so he <laughs> moved yeah moved to springfield and his gig was already over so uh it just so happened that phil keggy was uh coming through town and practicing some guys we knew in town's friends and uh we were going to do a tour and so they convinced phil to let doug and jerry uh you know try out for that and he ended up and they ended up uh doing that instead and touring with phil keggy and being in his band it was pretty awesome
2: yeah, it really is. I love this. Uh, in the description of the book, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about the book, King's X, The Oral History. Uh, just reading some of the bio for the book, uh, I'll just start it from, from this line. It also opens the floor to friends and collaborators, plus some of the many top rock names who are also fans of the band, including Pearl Jam's Jeff Ament, The Police's Andy Summers, Smashing Pumpkins' Billy Corgan, Soundgarden's Kim Thale, Pantera's Rex Brown, Motley Crue's Mick Mars, man, you had a lot of big shot friends, a lot of people, a lot of fans. That's terrific.
0: We've we've been very lucky that from day one, um, the industry kind of opened its arms to us. It's been the most amazing thing. Um, we seem to know everybody, um, just because from like I said, from from the earliest times, people would be coming to our shows. I remember we did a show in New York, and uh, it was sold out, and. Uh, the manager was telling me, uh, "You've got a couple people downstairs who want to meet you," and I was like, "Okay, cool." You know, not really thinking anything of it, and walking downstairs, mm-hmm. and it's Peter Frampton and some of the guys from Guns and Roses, <laughs> and you know, it's <laughs> stuff like that. You know, and so all these people came to our shows over the years, and we've gotten to know them and become very good friends with a lot of them. So we we feel very much a part of the industry that nobody, I mean, the industry accepts us, <laughs> even though the public. Doesn't doesn't uh, know very much about us. The industry always had right? wide open arms to
2: us, and that's been very cool. Well, Ty, I think the reason maybe I've been working the morning show on a classic rock station in Minneapolis, St. Paul for the last thirty-three, going on thirty-four years now. So I, I knew all about you. So I suppose because I'm in the I'm in the business, first of all. I got into radio, then the record business, then went back to radio, I've been in the same place now on the same show for thirty four years. But I just assumed everybody knew King's X
0: <laughs> I think that we you know, the markets uh, the big markets we do you know, everybody seems to know who we are, but we're not like one of those bands who can play in the middle of Kansas and people know who we are. Oh. That, you know, sound Soundgarden can do that, you know. Uh, we're mm. we're not we're not known on that level, you know. But we do, we many, do great in, in the major markets.
2: Yeah, you absolutely do. And and how many uh, how many dates do you do a year? Do you have any idea approximately how many dates you do a year around the country and around the world or whatever?
0: Um, uh, well, I'll tell you uh, what we normally do. Is, I don't know what the actual number would be, but, but what our normal kind of schedule is, every two to three weeks we try to go out and do... Uh, three shows and we do only weekend shows where we fly out that way we can hit major markets and it'll be three big shows in a row so we will fly out just do the big shows fly back home you know stay at home recording working on music or whatever do it again in another three four weeks Uh, Mm -hmm. and then during the year go out for a month or so like in europe Um, last year we did an extensive run of california and stayed out for a little while. Uh, so we only go out for maybe one really good run per year. And then the rest of the time we're flying out doing weekend gigs all year round.
2: Yeah, but that's great. I mean, you would actually at this point probably prefer that, wouldn't you?
0: Oh, most definitely. We all do. That's why we do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just, it, makes touring, it makes touring a lot easier and um, a lot more profitable and just uh, a better use of the time out there.
2: Yeah, and maybe that's, if you don't mind talking for a minute or two about that, I don't think people realize what a road tour does to a band, how expensive it is, first of all. You're going from place to place to place, and then you never stop moving. And Well, look, I mean, the Beatles stopped touring, what, two years after they hit America? I think, it, didn't they stop touring in, like, 66? Right.
0: Yeah, they couldn't take yeah, it anymore. They, yeah, they called it quits early.
4: Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's... I understand it, I, I mean, we, we did a nine... Yeah. We did a nine-month run once, and we talk about it in the book, so I'll leave some out for you know reading about it. but I tell you that nine-month run uh, stretched us in a different way to where um, we knew if we didn't get off the road, we were going to lose our minds and break up, and it yeah. would all be over. And uh,
2: no, no and question. then at
0: that moment, our, at, right at that moment, our manager called and said, "Black Crows want to do a major tour. We need to go right back." Out. and all of us said, "All of us said no." And it was a terrible thing really? to do to say no to that kind of a tour because they yeah. were. This is back when they were first really striking hot, and they were the stuff. They were the tour everybody wanted to be on. And we literally just physically could not do it. We were we were dead. We just couldn't do it, and uh, yeah, I understand. I, I hate that we didn't do it to this day, but but that's just physically. It just can, it's just it can destroy you because, well, it's not just physically; it's mentally and everything. you your people think of it as a really good time and party and all that stuff if you're out touring, but the truth is, you're confined uh, to small areas all the time, unable to do normal things, unable to just go walk in the streets or go eat at a normal place or. Or right. Anything like that, because any, if you're at a place where fans know you are, they're looking for you, and so you just kind of have to hibernate. And uh, to do that for nine months, it's like being in solitary confinement and among the same people. You know, you you I don't care how much you love someone, you you'd be mad at
2: Jesus at the
0: end of nine months on a
2: bus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Mississippi boy saying you'd be mad at Jesus. So that, there's some power behind that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I played golf with Steve Gorman a couple of years ago, well a few years ago now and we're just walking along the fairway and I said how many how many albums did you guys sell that first couple of years? He said yeah, when we first broke we sold about 20 million albums. I said oh my God, so how many of you sold total? And he said 20 million because everybody just steals the music now. Uh, seriously, That's right. that, has, that gotten, has that gotten better, Ty? Because my God, artists get ripped off. It's terrible.
0: Oh it's it's not better; it's worse because of uh, oh, now God. there are all these music streaming services like Spotify, which doesn't pay artists anything. I mean, I get I can get four hundred, five hundred thousand uh, listens on Spotify and get you know pennies for it, get nothing for it. Really? Um, so basically, yeah, Spotify and the whole streaming world has. Uh, at first, it was you know digital reputation when people could copy CDs. Right. Of course right. that collapsed the entire industry. it collapsed all the most of the yeah. major record labels and everything just you know and record chains everything collapsed because of digital replication um, yep. and now you don't even have to have to worry about that now you just you know turn on Spotify and whatever the new album is by so and so you can listen to it three or four times till you're tired of it and then you know you never have to pay for that music and they don't get anything for you listening to it and so it's it's turned into that kind. Of, it's turned into much worse than it ever was before because of streaming <sighs> services, sorry. and they don't pay. So for a, a band, the only possible way of survival is to sell millions of albums and to tour, um, or yeah, the or tours to tour are, are one of the money. Or, and or yeah. So that's uh, basically, it. you you aren't going to get money for your albums or your music on the radio or whatever anymore. That just doesn't happen. Not for so us anyway.
2: BMI why didn't BMI and ASCAP protect everybody? Because I tell you what, if you go into a if you're going into a bowling alley and they're playing music, ASCAP makes sure that they make sure they pay for that. So as far as uh, businesses are concerned, they still pay for music. Why I don't understand how Spotify get away with that. That makes so they make money off of you, but you don't make any money. That's amazing to me.
0: Right, exactly. Which is why Taylor Swift wouldn't allow her stuff on there and and other people rebelled against them because they are a completely undercutting of the industry for the artists. They completely destroy any chance for an artist to make anything off of their music, basically.
2: One thing I will tell you I'm very happy about, uh, we have a daughter. She's usually on the show, but it is snowing like mad in Minneapolis and St. Paul, so she couldn't get in to do the show today. But I remember when she was probably about 11 years old, she she was listening to some music up in her room. And I said, oh, that's that's really nice. And she came down. And I said, what were you listening to? And she said, blah, blah, blah. And I said, when did, you, did your mom take you to buy the album? She goes, no, I don't have the album. I said, well, how were you listening to it? She said, a friend of mine copied it onto a cassette tape. And yep. I said, don't do that. I mean, because I was in the business and I've been around musicians my whole life. I just, you know, I, you guys are really... The one thing I would like to tell people is really good rock and rollers are really good people in general. Like I just spent some time last year with Steve Perry. He came to town and I did a couple of interviews with him. could not, could not be a nicer guy, nicest guy in the world. Um, These are decent people have great ideas. They work very, very hard. Don't be ripping off their music. It it just, that, that that upsets me. It really does.
0: It's really, it's just a, a strange cultural phenomenon because Yep. Um, people would not accept it being okay for you to just walk into the grocery store and grab the food you want and walk out. And that's what's <laughs> no. happening.
4: Yeah. yeah and you're that's right.
0: exactly what's happening. They think it, it's okay with music to steal for some reason. I don't know where the mentality came from I don't, and just the ease of it, I guess. I, you know, the massiveness of it. Everybody just accepted it, as it was just the way it is. But it is theft, just like walking it is in theft. a store and stealing.
2: You know? And back in the old days, the stealing uh, from artists used to be the record business's uh, job. <laughs> Honest to God, that story—I yeah. interviewed—I I interviewed Tommy James a couple years ago. He put his uh, he put his biography out, his autobiography, and I was talking to Tommy James about it, and he estimates that uh, the record company and the pig that ran the record company stole about fifty million dollars from him.
0: Oh wow. yeah. I would I would I would see that as being possible, absolutely. I mean the way that things are accounted for, for one thing, you've got to have your own lawyers and accounting team to uncover <laughs> how yeah, they're hiding no, things and not paying, <laughs> you know. It's it's they try <sighs> not um, to pay in every way they possibly can. And it's up to you, you know, no to figure out how to get it, you know.
2: <laughs> it's Ty, crazy. I want you to come back. I, I don't know a lot you of come back. that work this way. <laughs> no, no, no. It's the only one that I know of that does work that way. Unless, you, of course, yeah. you have an agent, because then if you have an agent, it works in all businesses that way, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but anyway,
0: right,
2: right. Ty Tabor, <laughs> please come back and talk to us. Great, a great interview. I love talking to you about the business and what you're up to. The book is called King's X, The Oral History. It is available everywhere. It's on Amazon, obviously, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Matter of fact, number one bestseller in uh, metal music yesterday, the day it came out, and number one bestseller if, of new rock books.
2: So doing That's because good. you're so charming. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Ty, thank you. Come back soon, man. Love talking to you. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Thank you much. I enjoyed it. Thanks.
2: I did as well. Ty Tabor, ladies and gentlemen, the book is called King's X: The Oral History. Um, and you've never been much of a metal guy, have you? No. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, back in the day, it, when it first happened. I mean, one of the problems I do have with metal music now is that everybody sings like this. Yeah. It's like, would you calm down? They have to be tough. But not. Nah, Ty Tabor's a hell of a nice guy. That was really, really great to talk to him about all that stuff, and it's true. Those, those people get... Tommy James, uh, $50 million ripped off from him. It's amazing. It just makes you want to puke. We will be right back. Part 3, Hour 2, coming up next. Tom aren't you? Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you. Do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say Priority Courier Experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks, or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff, 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401K, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Samantha, who started as a customer service rep and is now operations manager. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry this 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Back in the saddle again. He was a very nice guy, Ty Tabor from King's Ex. Just uh, what a <laughs> decent guy.
3: It kind of struck me. I inter- yeah, was thinking about what he was saying. It was like, well, you know, everybody wants everything for free now.
5: Yes. I know. And that, the artists, yeah, the
3: artists that are wanting the money, are the people that are also on the bandwagon for everything being free. So yeah, I that's don't know. It, that is interesting. Yeah. So I don't know what that means.
2: Yeah. Well, why it's does everybody because want everything for free?
5: Because people who've made it in Hollywood know that they are basically untouchable. They're set for life. So what do they yeah. care?
2: Well,
3: they're, they're set for life if nobody steals their money or they don't piss it all away.
5: People that uh, say that kind of thing tend to have so much money that, you know, they would have to actively sabotage their own lives in order to stop being rich. Which often they do, but that's their own fault.
2: It's only people like Nick Cage and Johnny Depp. Exactly. Nick Cage bought 11 castles. Not one. 11 what do you need that for I need 11 castles to get uh, my life in order here yeah I uh, he's still working but uh, he's got some massive well, debt some people I know
3: once they get you know that kind of money it just is they can't just another it. well it's just another addictive personality trait
2: mm-hmm.
3: buying and buying and buying and buying.
2: Yeah, I get that. yeah, that is the whole deal. You just buy everything in sight. Johnny sure. Depp used to spend $60,000, $70,000 for a bottle of wine. Jeez. I think, he, uh, what's her name? Um, oh, God, Winona Ryder. She said the first time she ever went out with Johnny Depp, he bought three fifty thousand dollars bottles of wine on the date.
3: That's a lot.
5: He really <laughs> yeah. needed her to imagine? like him.
2: I guess so. He, uh, can you imagine taking the last sip out of the glass going, man. Yeah. no." <laughs> There's 50g shot in the ass. Yeah, that uh, that would not be especially
3: for something you can just consume. Yeah, you know? it's no, like it's true. It yeah, just once you drink it, it's
5: gone. Sense. So yeah, it's not exa- It's not like something that you can appreciate for a while. Yeah. You
3: know? Well, and I mean, if if you're willing to spend that kind of money on just something to drink, mm-hmm. uh, what likelihood is it that you're going to be responsible for it with your money ever?
2: Yeah, uh, unbelievable. is
3: it's not, not going to happen.
2: Apparently, PETA evidently saw the death of fashion designer Carl Lagerfeld as a fitting opportunity to make a statement about wearing fur. Okay. Not everyone agreed, People reports. Ingrid Newkirk, the organization's president, said in a statement that Lagerfeld's death marks the end of an era when fur and exotic skins were seen as covetable. PETA st- uh, sends uh, condolences to our old nemesis' loved ones. Many commenters on Twitter found that cold, PETA, someone died. Show some respect, reads one sample reply. Newkirk responded to the criticism, telling People she herself used to wear fur and there's nothing snarky in the remark that those times have passed, she added. Slamming PETA expresses the commenter's nastiness. PETA expressed none. Uh, Why'd you bring it up then? The guy's dead. Why'd you have to bring it up uh, so quickly? And I did notice, by the way, at the Super Bowl, one of the guys, and I, a big boy, I think his name is. He came on stage wearing a fur coat. Not one person made a comment about it. Was it?
3: But it, might, it, I think, it looked like it was a faux fur. It did. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was real.
2: So it was made of plastic bottles. Isn't that just? As bad? <laughs> it was
3: recycled fur.
2: It Was recycled fur? Yes, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, I, I just, there's no, the guy just died. Uh, we, we had Carl Lagerfeld on two, three times in the KQ Morning Show and he was a hell of an interview. But, um, yeah, I, he used to dress up. He's kind, he kind of looks like, a, I don't know, a gunslinger, doesn't yeah. he? I mean,
3: yeah, like, <laughs> I never really understood what exactly his look was. Yeah. yeah, gunslinger's close to it. I mean, he
2: looks like an old Like Western a gunslinger,
3: gunslinger rock star.
2: And a Catholic priest because he always wore those big white collars. He always oh, wore that's those right, Remember Yeah, that? that was weird. But yeah, he was he was an interesting guy. He uh he would love to play tricks on people. he loved to play tricks on people, but and I did point out yesterday when we found out about it that I, I used to have a, a Lagerfeld jacket that I just loved, but I I don't know. That was about thirty years ago or twenty years ago or something. Um the Oscars. Uh, I'm sure, Melissa, are you gonna be glued to the set this Sunday night for the Oscars?
1: No. I
3: will be at work.
2: I didn't think so. <laughs> oh, you're gonna be at work on so Sunday night? Yeah, that's true.
3: So th- okay. I, I haven't really
2: Yeah, I don't I either. haven't
3: been paying any attention to this. Did they ever find a host?
2: No. So they're just not no gonna host.
3: have hosts. So how does it work
2: then? I don't know. So they're just
3: know. gonna be parading up and saying their spiel and
2: it used to be a huge honor I know. to host the Oscars. And it's oh, sad. Yeah. Billy Crystal, I guess. Billy
3: Crystal, those were the best years. He was good.
2: Johnny Carson did it. Bob Hope did it, going way, way back. It used to be a huge honor to do it, and now nobody even wants to touch it. Uh, and the problem is, I'm sorry, but the na- the pictures that you've been naming Best Picture lately have been terrible.
3: Well, Black Panther's going <clears> to put <throat> it this well, year. Well, Black
2: Klansman, that's no. also up. Wait. Black Klansman, Black Panther was Black 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 last year, think, so. I think.
3: Well, I thought, well, no, I it's know. up this year. It's up this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, it well, came it out early. It came, yeah. yeah, came out early.
2: Hmm. But um, I don't know. We'll see how it works. But uh, there have been some pretty questionable Best Picture winners at the Oscars over the years, like that time Shakespeare in Love beat out Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Unbelievable. Or Crash was chosen over Brokeback Mountain. But what are the Best Picture honorees of all time? USA Today is out with the top 10, while Vulture ranks all 90 winners from worst to best, which we, not, we don't have time to do that, but not that I'd want to do it anyway. Okay, so here are the five um, best, I guess. These are the, the, the top five best. All About Eve, 1950. The Betty Davis flick is Vulture's number three pick. On the Waterfront, 1954. The Marlon Brando Classic comes in number five on Vulture's list. Schindler's List. Vulture doesn't list the Holocaust tale until number seven. Casablanca, I have still never seen Casablanca. It's really weird. Yeah, I've it, never seen that movie.
3: You, you should see it.
2: Uh, and number one, of course, I've seen, I've seen this movie at least twice, I know. Godfather. The Godfather, God- the Godfather. Mm. <laughs> It's the number one movie yeah. of all time. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen that movie. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Absolutely loved that movie. uh, It's pretty amazing. Variety offers a list of the 10 worst Best Picture winners. It's worst five compared to Vulture's uh, complete ranking. Number five, Around the World in 80 Days, 1956. Really? Another one that does better than In Vulture's Eyes, though the site admits it's overstuffed. It ranks 61 out of 90. So, uh, Around the World in 80 Days, I never saw that either. I've never seen Ben Hur, 1959. Perhaps a shocking inclusion, but Variety argues it simply doesn't stand the test of time. Vulture, however, ranks it in the top half of its winning films. Number 39, Gigi, 1958. Uh, the 50s uh, were not a great year for pictures, apparently. Yeah, Because there's geez. one from 52, 52, 56, 58, and 59. So I have a feeling this guy the in the
5: 50s. might have been, is this like an older man, I'm guessing?
2: Mm, I, there's no picture of them mm-hmm. uh, there's just a news staffer Yvonne Gastaldo but she's not the one who wrote the list Gigi Variety was clearly not impressed with the musical but it fares much better on Vulture's list The Broadway Melody oh that's 1929 I was going to say I never even heard of that but it's from 1929 So it's pretty old it is only the second best picture winner ever it actually snagged the worst ever spot on Vulture's ranking I have no idea what the Broadway Melody even is no clue but the number one movie is not the new one, but the 1952 one. Cecil B. DeMille's Circus Epic gets the worst spot on Variety's list, The Greatest Show on Earth. So um, there was a new version of that just a couple of years ago, wasn't there? Yep.
1: The greatest Maybe it was Showman. more than greatest... that. I don't know. Uh, greatest show yeah. Oh, yeah. That,
2: 20, that was, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2017, I think. 2017. Yeah, that's probably right. But The Greatest Show on Earth was also done... Uh, I can't. Got it. Uh, I tried watching it. Maybe it was it. more than a few years ago.
1: I tried oh, watching it. Or the
2: greatest show on earth. The
1: greatest show on earth, because I was curious and yeah, it's very hard to watch.
2: Yeah,
5: which huge It's Just
1: boring.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> like there's no, like there's barely any talking. It's, you know, it's black and white, and they're just like not
5: just standing around.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like everyday circus. Like, it, it's like if you were to walk in and see how they make a circus.
5: So it's a documentary more.
1: It's more, yeah. It's not really oh, it even is. a diet. Like, yeah, it's not even really a story or a dialogue. It, so I watched like half of it and I was like, I can't do it anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The Greatest Showman's yeah. much better. They added storyline uh, to yeah. it.
2: <laughs> That's, uh, what's his name? Um, he's two stars in The Greatest Show. Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. There you yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, yeah, he's that, damn good. He's a lot of a talent. was great. about
5: Barnum and Wait. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They're both are. are.
5: Oh. Well, The Greatest Show on Earth also has the Ringling Brothers. Yes. Hmm. Oh, it does. Like the actual Ringling Brothers, which is interesting. Yeah. Really? It's hard
1: to watch, though, because it's it's not... It doesn't flow very well.
2: Yeah. Well, there you go. When Hannah Kinney tells you I'm dedicated to this ranch believer, the 22-year-old University of Iowa student admits she's overly fond of the condiment. Um which she often makes an extra run for at an Iowa City restaurant she heads to each Monday for Bible study but as the Washington Post reports this week's ranch run was interrupted by a campaign event by presidential candidate Kristen uh, Kirsten Gillibrand or Gillibrand I don't know though that didn't stop Kinney from her mission a 17 second clip on Twitter shows what happened as Kinney tried to get to the kitchen by pushing through the crowd and past Gillibrand who was speaking to a crowd and perhaps thought Kinney was a rapt listener trying to get a closer spot as she squeezed behind the New York senator. So she makes room for her, and then she goes in the kitchen to get ranch dressing. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: <Burn>. <laughs> then came Kenny's apology. Sorry, I'm just trying to get some ranch. The crowd in Gillibrand erupted in laughter, and the video soon went viral, earning Kenny the nickname Ranch Girl online. A moniker she's now incorporated into her Twitter handle. Very clever. The post notes that some are. Tra- yeah, exactly. Ranch girl. Boy, that is good. I, I, I would be blue cheese boy. Apparently, that'd be my moniker. The post notes that some are trying to turn the incident into something political. Was Kenny trying to make an anti-democratic statement? But oh Kenny poops that. Oh my god. The only political comment I will make at this time is that at uh, the airliner bars ranch is amazing. Kenny also tried to make uh, this publicity work for her after the airliner offered her a free cup of ranch on her next visit. Kenny noted, what are the odds you make it a year's supply? Oh, she's trying to cash in <laughs> on ranch dressing. <laughs> well, but Gillibrand handled that well, and Kenny handled it well, so I don't even know why that's a story. I mean, it's a, it's a pleasant story, so, you know, they, they both handled it well. Gillibrand or Gilli- Is it Gillibrand or Gillibrand? I don't know. I don't know either. There are so many people running for president now that I just— I know i I'm baffled by it all. How many are there now? It's just, man, there are a lot of people running for president. Last year, or excuse me, two years ago, it was Republicans that had about 20 people. And now it looks this year, uh, or, you know, for 2020 and uh, 2022, it looks like there are going to be about 50 people running for president.
3: How many are there normally?
2: <laughs> Usually they pick their person and they just move forward with that. But I, I, just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pretty crowded field already. And about, look to me like about twenty five people are still considering a run, uh, including what the hell's his name? That jerk that uh, he ran for president before. He's just a horrible human being. I can't remember his name. Doesn't matter. Just, just go this way. A horrible human being might run
3: too. Well, uh, if they get to keep all the money, I would run for president too.
2: Yeah, and so that's a question for, for both Melissa and Andy. Why wouldn't you run for president if you get to keep the money?
5: Yeah, super PACs were a horrible idea.
2: Terrible idea. Did you the know the that both reason...
5: Romney and Obama raised just under a billion dollars for their... That's correct. Yeah. That's like, how? what could you even need that for?
4: And what, and were they I building
5: like a city?
2: Believe, yeah. I believe Hillary Clinton was in multiple billions, wasn't
5: she? I'm sure. She and Trump, understand. I'm sure, I mean, both raised quite a bit of money. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's think like, of
3: all the things we could fix with that kind of money. Yeah,
5: I just don't get where the money goes.
2: Well, I don't know. It looks like it goes into their pockets. Well,
3: I know that their television ad campaigns are huge, and then, of course, they have to pay off the journalists to get endless positive media. No, they don't do that. No. I'm just kidding um I don't know but their their campaign their television campaigns have to be a vast yeah. fortune, but that they don't start that usually until when after the after their Tom's not paying
2: any I am After <laughs> they after they after they well, That's I was what like, I heard you no, say. When
3: do they get when do they start their TV campaigns? Isn't there like some sort of mandated thing that they can't advertise too early? Uh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, I think that is true. But yeah. I don't know what it
2: is. I don't have any idea what it is either. But uh, here's the situation, ladies and gentlemen. Record broken for February snow. Most of the Twin Cities metro area already has received already seven to nine inches of snow with another one to two inches expected before it tapers off by early evening. And then how many more days this week is it going to snow?
5: Well, let's, it's kind of, it's on and off. And, you know, with Minnesota weather, it's always a little, uh, questionable.
1: I think it was Friday, Saturday.
5: Let's
3: look. Well, Uh, it's what a nightmare of a commute The commute this afternoon is going to be just horrendous.
5: Let's see. Ten-day forecast. Uh, Today, snow. Next two days, cloudy. Saturday, snow. Cloudy, cloudy, snow. (laughs) So it's two days of clouds, one day of snow for the next at least ten days. Yeah.
2: That's the pattern. There you have it.
1: Basically, every two days
2: it'll snow. I love this. Downtown Minneapolis Eastside Restaurant shines under new ownership. Catherine and I just went over there. What about four or five months ago to have dinner with yeah. the new owner and that
3: was good
2: it was terrific it was really really good so I'm glad to see grand uh, grand cafes Jamie Malone is placing an emphasis on fun family style dining got three out of four stars so that's great I'm very very happy for them because they're nice people uh and it is it is terrific
3: yeah it's a it's a nice uh nice restaurant
2: it's a great it looks restaurant nice. and she, man the food is really really good they
3: have uh Pretty inexpensive valley parking. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh so yeah, uh we will talk to you. I will not be on uh, Catherine and I will not be on for the next uh ten days. Vacation
3: time. And
2: finally finally a vacation. Now we're talking. We'll talk to you later. Tom Bernard show.